technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... We've seen some of the investments, Michael, unfortunately, being a little, let's, let's call them modest, right? If you're spending a few billion dollars on your network, but you're only willing to spend a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars on stoking your, your platform ecosystem, it's disproportionate and, and perhaps not conducive to the end result. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. heard it, 5G isn't just another generation. It's expensive to deploy and operate, and it's arriving at a time when telecom companies and other communications service providers are having difficulty stemming the slide in average revenue per user. But to Salesforce's Stephen Mannell, the real return on capital for 5G will take place on the enterprise side, but only if a CSP can shed its 4G thinking. You know, the predicted return on capital that we've grown accustomed to with previous generations uh, may not largely be coming from the consumer side. Uh, consumer growth has, in many markets, uh, been saturated as it relates to population growth and the number of handsets that people are willing to carry. And uh, the path to revenue with value-added services, whether it be uh, you know a premium version of connectivity or other yet unknown devices or applications, um, yeah, the predicted return on capital for the, from the consumer side is, is flat uh, to marginal growth. So because of the expense of 5G, right, we've got all this spectrum, both at the high, middle, and low end, all these new radios and towers and backhaul right, there's a pretty significant uh, expense related to 5G without that formally predictable return on capital. So a lot of folks are looking to the enterprise as fertile ground, not only because it's the only place to go theoretically, or one of the few places to go, but because of the new sets of capabilities that are enabled by network as a service writ large and 5G and MEC. So the opportunity appears to be poised in the B2B or B2B to X space. And that's pretty much consensus at this point, right? I, I can't seem to find an analyst that doesn't seem to, you know, lean into that, those assumptions and uh, the pending value propositions. Let's talk about fertile ground. We have devices, applications, managed services, and APIs that drive data commingling together in this new way. That must have forced Salesforce to evolve from just a CRM company. Well, yeah. So, you know, two or three years ago, uh, if you had asked me what Salesforce's position or point of view on 5G would be, I probably would have said something like, you know, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, CSPs are going to sell 5G differently, right? So that would impact marketing, sales, and service, kind of our core lines of business. Um, but in some respects, you know, we would have been secondary or even tertiary to the larger conversation, right? Um, but our portfolio has grown and changed over that interim time period. So we were forced to look at, um, you, you know, the market and our portfolio 
through a completely different lens. And that led us recently to commission a study from a company called STL Partners, which we're, we've entitled Taking 5G Beyond Connectivity, Growing the B2B2X Business. This paper was, recent, is, was recently released. And the thesis there was if this you know, 5G business is starting to look like a platform with an ecosystem built around that platform and eventually a marketplace, what would Salesforce be able to bring to bear in that context? And it forced us to rethink our point of view completely. You know, we tend to look at our existing opportunities and customer stories and as the basis for, you know, not some sort of fictional point of view, but something based in reality. And we saw a completely different outcome. Yes, uh, we do think that enterprises are going to sell, market sell and service differently uh, with the biggest material difference there being probably that we're gonna move away from a wholesale large enterprise SME consumer type of model where we've been selling you know, you know, circuits and lines and you know, voice and security products into something that looks a lot more verticalized. So that would have been sort of the big punchline, if you will, of our point of view a few years ago. But with the addition of uh, some capabilities in our portfolio, not to mention some critical acquisitions like Tableau, um, uh, Velocity now called uh, our Industries Clouds, as well as, and perhaps most importantly, MuleSoft, which is you know a market leader for API networks is the sort of term of art that we use. Um, we have the potential here to now not only uh, affect the way things are marketed, sold, and serviced, but also encapsulate the way uh, network as a service is is packaged, right? As an as an API network uh, around which you can build developer communities. Something we know quite a bit about with 15 or 16 years of experience there, um, and then eventually building out catalog driven. Uh, marketplaces, you know, in, in light of this sort of B2B2X construct, which seems to be uh, the predicted um, uh, monetization models. So we went from being, you know, a secondary at best sort of solutions provider that would address this, you know, transformation of the way things are bought and sold into now a sort of uh, hopefully primary in the conversation as it relates to monetization of these new uh, business models, enabled and powered by network as a service at large and, and 5G in particular. If Salesforce was forced to evolve into a platform with an ecosystem and a marketplace, and it all evolved out of that, what is an ecosystem for a CSP now under 5G? Software as a service is not platform as a service, is not infrastructure as a service, is not network as a service. So I, I I think there, there are all going to be some nuances and differences um, as it relates to the as X as a service models, right? But I think there, in some respects, there are a lot of parallels and lessons learned and best practices. So when I got here in 2009, um, I felt as though, you know, our language, our verbiage around being a platform may have been out over our skis a little bit. We were an award-winning applications company uh, that I think aspired to be a platform. We had all the earmarks of a platform, right? We, you know, if you think of that software as a service and platform as a service, we sort of take this 80-20 rule, right? It's maybe not for all workloads or applications, but most. 
Uh, and then inside of that most category, you can do most of what you want to do through clicks, not code. That's sort of our, our, you know, uh, stock and trade, right? So when you come to the realization, then that 80-20 rule and 80-20 clicks, not code could apply to other people's business logic. You get the idea that you can open up the platform and let other people in to develop applications around business functions. That right. Remain so this is a ourselves, huge right? cultural shift that we're talking about here. It, it is, but there are certainly, you know, let's call them leading indicators about why you may want to do that. Right. So for instance, we, we work with IDC on a, on a, on a paper called the Salesforce economy. And uh, I think it helps illustrate a lot of the questions that I often get about Salesforce. A lot of the questions I get are, how, you're, you're only, you know, a, let's say a, in this case, a $20 billion company. How do you explain your market cap, right? You're only, a, a, you know, a, a tier one enterprise software company. How do you explain that you can get 190,000 people to San Francisco every year for Dreamforce, right? How do you explain that these uh, global systems integrators have built multi-billion dollar practices around, around your platform? And the only way I can explain it is that we saw the potential of the platform. We opened up the platform. We attracted an ecosystem, and we've turned that ecosystem into something much larger than ourselves. It's the network effect. It's a blossom, right? So we're this tiny little boat that's pulling this sort of massive wake behind us that's created an ecosystem. And I think there are massive parallels. There are many, many parallels that we can draw, whether it's B2C or or, or you know, in the technology space, especially where th those things should become obvious, right? Now, it doesn't mitigate the fear and the need potentially for this leap of faith that, that uh, you know, I think we're talking about here, but there's a lot of lessons learned and best practices that can be uh, gleaned from early successes, for sure. As the originators of SaaS, you talk about southbound systems and northbound systems. A CSP is interested in growth of ARPU, not just stemming its slide. And you point out it's the northbound systems that provide this greenfield opportunity. Let's define what north and southbound means and why the real growth opportunity comes from the northbound side of the equation. Sure. So um, I typically use the terms northbound and southbound in the context of systems and APIs around those systems. So your southbound systems in, in a CSP's case would be, you know, your network and the products you build around that network. You've got your operational support systems for service assurance. You've got your revenue management systems, you know, your BSS, as well as your traditional enterprise IT applications, human capital management, ERP, et cetera, et cetera. So in a way, we're, we, you know, we're in a new world as it relates to getting your enterprise house in order with cleaning up your API and your integration strategy. So those are your southbound systems. Um, that's a little messy because you're going to run into, you know, um, you know, tens of years of integration tools, strategies, some of which are homegrown, open source. It's kind of a mess. Um, so the more greenfield opportunities, as I see them, are on the northbound side. So this is where we start to get into the lessons learned, right? So Salesforce is a platform, but Okay, great. Uh, do you have APIs on that platform? Yes, we do. Okay, well, how do you build a, an attractive developer ecosystem around those APIs? Well, that's not something we sort of uh, birthed whole uh, year one, right? I've had many, many conversations with the folks who built our app exchange over the years, some of whom I've become very, very close with, and it was a work in progress. And um, 
you know, what we ended up with was um, a, a very robust set of tools, or, you know, we largely call partner communities or, you know, partner experiences. And we've married that up with some tools from um, MuleSoft around our API uh, boundary layer, right? So not all of these applications that are, you know, these APIs that are going to be built are going to be exposed natively, right? They're going to be exposed through a developer community with boundary systems for security purposes, um, you know, management, uh, all those sort of typical things that you'd expect. So that is where I think there's a lot of fertile ground. What we've seen from the CSPs historically is they'll build a few dozen APIs, maybe they um, have what I would call a partnering program, which has a select number of people who can get in to access those APIs. And it's very tightly controlled. It's kind of a closed partner ecosystem. It's kind of a controlled process. And it doesn't really allow for serendipity. It doesn't really allow for discovery. So that's sort of what I mean by, you know, us bringing a lot of our tools, which can be white labeled, which would, you know, uh, help, you know, uh, attract and retain a developer community with all the bells and whistles that need to be in there, right? Um, and then that can evolve into more of a marketplace. Then when we talk about where CSPs can add value to enterprise, we should talk about their new role in defining a digital economy. You cite Apple as a perfect example of a digital economy that CSPs should model? In a way, yes, right? Um, you know, Apple put out their iOS platform. And if you recall, they, they brought, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of $400 million into that, uh, into the developer ecosystem to sort of stoke the App Store so that when the App Store came about, it wasn't a barren landscape, right? You wanted some richness there. And I think that could be, you know, a, again, a parallel here. A lot of we as enterprises, right, not just not Silicon Valley, but enterprises have been working around uh, IP transport for a long time, right? It's, it's just something that we couldn't rely on its burstability, right? We couldn't turn it up and turn it down. Uh, we couldn't define its location. Um, we couldn't, uh, uh, you know, cache capabilities at the edge of the network. So we've been programming around the network and over the network for a very, very long time. And I think the opportunity here is to understand, identify, you know, IoT devices, applications, managed services pro providers who understand how to leverage the network and help illustrate to the rest of the world these new use cases. So that's really the, the opportunity that I see. And I see a couple of operators doing a very good job of that already. We've seen some of the investments, Michael, unfortunately being a little Let's, let's call them modest, right? If you're spending a few billion dollars on your network, but you're only willing to spend a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars on stoking your, your platform ecosystem, it's disproportionate and, and perhaps not conducive to the end result. Right. It sort of feels like cheaping out on the architect when building a skyscraper. Right. Exactly. So then do you find that there's still a great deal of skepticism about what it means to build out a network as a service, that skyscraper? Oh, without question. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, scary, right? It's, um, in some respects, some of the feedback that we've gotten in the course of our, you know, we've interviewed 23 different, you know, chief strategy officers and heads of network in the operator space for this recent paper. And a lot of them, you know, um, are intellectually there in terms of the leap of faith, but they're also worried about further commoditization. You know, I think we understand and appreciate those concerns, right? Those are, 
you know, you, we've seen this sort of, um, you know, cost per dollar of transport, you know, continue to decline. And the idea, I think, in some corners is that if you expose the network and it, and it, it can become more commoditized. But I think, you know, we're baking in some capabilities into the network for, um, you know, turning this into a marketplace and that we could actually turn that network and those capabilities into premium services if we stoke the ecosystem so much that there is demand, you know, across the available assets, right? So it's like any other marketplace. I use the word deliberately here. So, you know, to the extent that we can fill the marketplace with demand that's going to meet you know, uh, or exceed uh, the the capabilities of the network, the supply side, now we're in a dynamic situation where we can potentially charge more for things. So that is a part of the intellectual problem, you know, the intellectual leap that I think people are struggling with because they, they don't see a clear path to that. You've been quoted as saying you advise CSPs to leverage localism. What does that mean? Localism is, uh, I think, you know, a good way of contrasting um, you know, what happened with iOS and Android. With iOS and Android, we built a global platform or two, which we needed, in order for, you know, application developers looking to take advantage of smartphones, right? And that's, that's essentially they achieve scale. Um, in this context, network as a service and particularly things like Mech, uh, the advantage isn't scale so much as it is localism, right? Having local points of presence, having, you know, capability uh, at the edge or near the edge. Um, so owning spectrum, owning, you know, uh, radios, uh, owning, you know, edge caching uh, or edge computing capabilities is the advantage here. And the challenge will be to expose that to developers and, and educate them how to, how to exploit those capabilities. That's what I mean by localism. So how can platforms and ecosystems provide the right environment to aggregate value in the digital era? Uh, that's a really good question. And, and, you know, one that I think we see a couple of operators, you know, doing a good job with. So the TM forum and STL, they, they define this, this as a continuum, right? If, if connectivity is the core business and along with communications and network security, network, you know, service enablement is the sort of next chapter, right? Service enablement in some respects is really enabled by network as a service. There's a third, third sort of model, which is service orchestration. The difference between the second and the third model is that um, I could be the application provider that's the, you know, um, licensing the the networking capabilities and i pass that at the top line on along to my customer and the customer doesn't even know that it's the csp's capabilities underneath right so that's great right that's that's not mutually exclusive to the orchestrator model or the uh the third model that i was referring to earlier but the third model sort of leans into this notion that the network is what it is, you know, in terms of a commodity. Now there might be some bursting up and down on that commodity, but there's a value around that network. There's devices, there's applications, there's managed services, there's professional services. And if we can expand the aperture of what it is we do as a CSP, if we can bring a curated set of solutions into verticals that allow me to take the top line revenue and be that service orchestrator, right? You've heard the expression software is eating the world. 
Well, this is an example of leaning into some of those spaces that allow them to take that software-driven application business value model and deliver that, right, with, you know, while fully exploiting the underlying capabilities in the network in a way that someone who's architected around the network may not be able to do. So, you know, that, that's sort of what I'm referring to there is this notion that we can, you know, uh, potentially expand the pie just by being a better at exposing the network so that um, the service enablement business is optimized, but not mutually exclusive. We have this other opportunity to, you know, curate a set of solutions, right, probably for verticals and um, take the top line revenue as a result and be that service or, you know, solution orchestrator. Well, in Canada, TELUS is an example of a CSP that's pivoted to a managed services organization. They've got the healthcare unit, the business outsourcing division. Is this orchestrator model the future of CSPs? Maybe for some, right? Uh, one of the conclusions that we drew from the paper was that not all markets are created equal and challenges are not incumbents. So we're not being prescriptive about what the model should be. What we're saying is that there's going to be multiple models and that there are lessons learned and best practices along the continuum of creating those multiple models. Now, we've seen some really good early examples like TELUS or, or Reliance has an IoT business unit called Unlimit. And uh, while I'm not in the Indian market, everything I've read about it sort of you know, indicates that it's, it's very much um, an open model where they have kind of a, you know, um, they give the end customer choice as to the devices and applications and analytics and, you know, all the other things that go into the creation of the solution. So they're not being, they're not being overly prescriptive about, you know, the, the solution that they're orchestrating, right? They're, they're letting it happen somewhat organically. And there's, those are parallels that we were very familiar with. Right, on the Salesforce App Exchange of the 5,000 applications in the App Exchange, there's a lot of overlap. There's a, you know, there are competitors that essentially do the same thing, and we're not here to be prescriptive to tell the customer who the best is, right? Because, you know, uh, while uh, vendor X might be the best for company A, uh, vendor Y might be the best for company B. So we're not here to be overly prescriptive. So that's a sort of long answer to your question, but I, I think the, there are some early indicators and some early examples in the market that um, suggest that it could work for some uh, operators in some markets, for sure. So then what would you say is the unique opportunity for CSPs in this digital economy? Um, to, to better understand how to exploit connectivity, right? If connectivity um, has been programmed around right? The opportunity is to educate the app, you know, particularly the application companies where theoretically most of the value is um, how best to exploit the network, right? I, I think we've had a long history of, of building technology for technology's sake um, in the communications industry. And a lot of that has been proprietary. A lot of what's different about now is that because most of these capabilities are being exposed as you know, REST APIs, something that most developers are familiar with. I'm not talking about Parley X here, right, from the mid-2000s. I'm talking about REST, right? And I'm, I'm talking about methods and patterns that are going to be familiar with developers. 
they only need to be educated how to exploit them, right? And that's something that I think, you know, your, your average development community, you know, doesn't understand how to do. So some of the early examples you see the hyperscalers partnering with, you know, the large uh, CSPs around their mech strategies is an attempt to stoke that. Um, but, you know, going back to your earlier question about scaring the daylights out of CSPs, in some respects, that kind of feels like the Android iOS, you know, chapter all over again, right? You're inviting hyperscalers and their developers to exploit the network. Um, and the question is, where does the value go in that equation, right? Um, and again, it's not mutually exclusive. The, the idea is to build a platform so you can attract an ecosystem and exploit the assets that you've got to their fullest potential, potentially create contention at which point you can create a, you know, a premium market for that contention. The opportunity to create that top line value uh, is not mutually exclusive. And you know, we've seen some recent examples of that as well with Edge Private Cloud you know, announcements with the likes of AT&T and IBM, for example. So um, I don't think, you know, I, we're seeing a lot of bets being placed and chips being put around the table. Um, there, there are no single obvious bets. I think there's a lot of little bets. If there's one takeaway for the listener, is it about expertise or localism? Localism is the, is your value. Teaching the developer community how to exploit the network is the challenge uh, externally. The internal challenge is, is not technology, right? Uh, it's people and process, it's culture. I sort of always summarize people and process, it's culture. Right, the technology we're largely taking care of as an industry, right? Um, the software virtualization of the network is largely driven by software companies or networking com you know, equipment companies that are learning how to become software companies. It's also being driven by telecom infra project and MEF and 3GPP and TM Forum, right? So a lot of that, uh, you know, technology, um, I have faith in the technology. I have less faith in, faith in the culture. And I think there's a lot of you know, people who will not survive the transition into the new culture. There's gonna have to be a lot of hiring um, you know, from other part, parts of the ecosystem to glean those, that expertise. And then of course, you know, you're gonna have to train. So the culture is probably the biggest thing that needs to change. Having an open mind, a willingness to learn you know, what it takes to build these things and the arc of the investment it's a multi-year arc, right? Not unlike a, a you know a big capital project on the network. So you know a lot of what I'm advocating right now is rather than waiting for these chapters to unfold, network out. It's time to start building up the cultural aspects that's helps going to help build the platform, the ecosystem, and the marketplace now in parallel. Otherwise, there's going to be a missed opportunity. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurismic.com. The Futurismic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.